All right, let's take our Bibles, go to the book of Revelation, chapter number 2. I'm going to try to move quickly here today. We're going to be having the Lord's Supper at the end of the service, and so I uh, wanted to just give you a heads up. If uh, we, We've tried to not only just social distance because of COVID and keep people in the white dot uh, rows, but also we have a row in between so that the ushers can come through and uh, and you can get uh, the elements for the for communion without having to pass the tray and so forth. And so um, tonight, uh, or excuse me, this morning, we won't be doing what Temple Baptist has traditionally done in all gathering together real close in the middle section. And I told uh, the men last night when we were kind of going over the details of this, I said, you know, I'm, I missed that part. And that's something when I came here to be the pastor... Uh, Brother Wilson and Brother Pennell did communion that way, and to me at first I thought, oh, this is kind of strange, because I'd never seen any church do that. And so I just thought, well, I'm new around here, I'll just go with it. And after the very first time, I thought, wow, that is that is wise leadership, because to me, that was so meaningful as we are, I mean, communion is about us coming together with Christ and having that close fellowship and so uh, uh, it was uh, very much a blessing, and I thought, I, I like that. We're going to keep doing it that way. And so um, uh, we're not going to be able to do that because of COVID, but hopefully one day we will. And so, um, and, and let me say this also, that if you are not a church member of Temple Baptist Church, uh, we don't necessarily discourage you from partaking in communion. And uh, I'll probably say more about this when we start to have communion, but uh, the bottom line is you need to be saved and you need to be right with the Lord to the best of your uh, knowledge. And uh, we, we, we don't practice closed communion. It's not our job to monitor or to judge you whether you're worthy of us handing you the communion elements. That's your job and your responsibility to examine yourself. And so you don't have to be a church member, but we do encourage you to examine yourself, make sure that you're saved and right with the Lord. And parents, you monitor your children. Uh, you're the best person to know whether you believe that your child is truly saved. And uh, if they're not and you're not sure of it, this is a very solemn and a serious um, um, uh, ordinance to the church. It's not a sacrament, it's an ordinance. But it's very serious, very solemn, and so I would just encourage you to monitor your own children and uh, you be the deciding factor whether they participate in communion this morning or not. All right, uh, Revelation chapter 2, verse number 1, unto the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things saith he that holdeth the seven stars in his right hand, who walketh in the midst of the seven golden candlesticks. If you don't know who that is, by the way, that's Jesus Christ, all right? Uh, verse number two, I know thy works and thy labor and thy patience and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars and hast borne and hast patience and for my name's sake hast labored and hast not fainted. Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. 
But this thou hast, that thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now I'm going to close with that part of the verse because the title of our message, this is a three-part message. We're on part number two this morning. And that is simply this, God is trying to tell us something. And last week, we took a look at just canceling out some background noise, some question marks and some controversy that people uh, commonly don't understand about this passage. And I wanted to just get that out of the way so we could focus on what we need to know and what is just staring right, the, the most important thing, and, and we need to focus on that. We'll, we'll focus on many of those things here this morning. So part number two is commendable qualities of a good church. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bless our time together here today. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you. Thank you for the song service today. Lord, heaven's jubilee, that spoke to my heart, and that certainly encouraged me, and and it gave me some joy thinking about uh, not this world we live in here. Lord, Father, you know um, in my heart, Lord, I'm weary of this uh, this battle and struggle here on this earth. And uh, Lord, we all go through those times of weariness. And, and Lord, I'm looking forward to heaven's jubilee, a time of rejoicing and being in your presence. And Lord, uh, as the, the apostle wrote, even so, come, Lord Jesus. And But fathers, we've gathered here today, we've sang your praises, and Lord, I appreciate the special talking about how good you are and reminding us of that kindness and goodness. And Lord, just seeing these young people get up here on the platform and sing for your glory and honor, what an encouraging thing that was. And Lord, as I think about the faithfulness of your people, Lord, as we've honored Sister Dawn and Sister Lynn's birthday, I think of faithful uh, servants of Christ here at Temple, uh, not only in the past, but in the present. And Lord, I pray that you would raise up more faithful, solid, loyal Christians here at Temple Baptist Church. Lord, no doubt we're living in some dark times and uh, they're probably going to get darker. And God, we need a, a brighter shining light here in Statesville. And I pray that Temple Baptist would be the kind of church that is commendable And these areas that you gave a commendation to Ephesus, I pray that we would adopt those things in our lives as well. We pray that you'd have your will and way in the service. And then when we have communion here after a while, we pray, God, that you would use this as just a special, meaningful time to draw our hearts closer to you. Bless us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll not do any review of last week's message uh, for sake of time, but I do want to remind you of this particular thought, and that is this, that all of these churches in the book of Revelation, even though they represent distinct local churches, they also, we can see from looking back in church history, we can see that these churches are representative of distinct time periods in the church since the time of Christ up to the present day. The church period of Ephesus is from approximately 70 A.D. up to around 200 A.D., depending on which historian or 
commentary that you read anywhere from 170 to 230. I've heard a number of different thoughts and ideas, but certainly in the ballpark of 200 A.D. Now, there was a lot going on during this time period that required a lot of discernment from God's people. Things were going on that required a lot of strength and a lot of character in over, in order to overcome the doctrinal errors that were spreading throughout the church as well as the wolves that Paul warned Ephesus about in the book of Acts. He said, after I'm gone, he said, wolves shall come in, grievous wolves that will not spare the flock. And so Paul, as an apostle, he saw ahead and he knew exactly what would happen. And he was trying to do everything he could to prepare Ephesus for what would be coming in their future. Add to that the worldly turmoil and the persecution from Rome and from Jerusalem among anyone who claimed to be associated with this Jesus of Nazareth. Required so much discernment, strength, and character. Last week I made a statement that I want to repeat. It goes like this. Not every church is the same. There are good churches and bad churches. There are many churches that used to be good, but no longer are. At the same time, there are churches who, um, uh, churches that um, have already went bad, and then churches that are uh, certainly going bad. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you heard somebody say, oh, be careful of that church, they're going conservative? I, 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 I don't think I've ever heard that, have you? Oh, watch out for them. They're going conservative. No, you hear that church is going liberal. That church is going contemporary. And I understand the literal meaning of contemporary. It means that we're here today, but we also are smart enough to know what that term contemporary has become associated with. A lot of things that are not biblical, but are very much giving the world and people what they want rather than what God wants. Ephesus was practically a perfect church. Now we'll say this, they had one big problem. We'll be looking at that next week in part number three, but today let's focus on the positives and let's learn some things that make a church a good one. So there are 10 commendations of this church at Ephesus that come from Jesus Christ. And notice in verse number two, Jesus starts it off by saying, I know thy works. Now let me tell you something. As a pastor, I need to have a very broad vantage point of knowing the flock. The shepherd certainly needs to know the flock. But let me tell you something. No one knows this church even close to the way that Jesus Christ knows this church. Uh, we come and, and we gather and, and we put on our Sunday best, and I think that that's a great thing that ought to continue, to dress up for Jesus Christ, not dress down for the world. I'm not interested in making everybody in the world comfortable. I'm interested in saying, hey, Lord, this is your church. This is important. And you're special. And and why do we dress up for people that we want to impress, but we dress down for Jesus Christ? Folks, that makes no sense whatsoever. 
so many things have become the norm under the guise of evangelism. Well, we want to reach people. Don't you think that Jesus Christ wants to reach people? And let me tell you something. When we honor and glorify him, then we invite his presence among us. And if you want to reach people, listen, it's not our methodology. It's not our appearance. It's not our visuals. It's not our marketing. The only thing that can reach a soul for Christ is Christ himself. The Holy Spirit has to do the work. We're living in a day and age where believers think that you have to do certain things in order to accommodate people, in order to reach people. Folks, I don't believe that for a moment. I'll tell you what you need to reach people. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Christ died on the cross for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That gospel message needs to be preached and proclaimed and it needs to be told to whoever we can get to listen to. It may be told through passing out a track, through a personal witness. It may be told through the radio broadcast or through live stream or here in a church service. That message needs to always be proclaimed and then uh, all of the counsel of God needs to be taught. People need to know and understand the doctrines of the Word of God. And when we honor the Lord, did not the psalmist say, Thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name? When we magnify the truth of the word of God, we are inviting the presence of Jesus Christ in the person of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is present, good things happen. Amen? Now that might mean that if the Holy Spirit is present, it might mean conviction. And let me tell you something, the conviction of the Holy Spirit is not a pleasant thing, but it's the best thing that can happen to us. Thank God that the Holy Ghost makes us miserable when we go astray, amen? Listen, if you can go astray and live just any old way and do whatever you want to do and God doesn't bother you, you need to look in the mirror and do a serious checkup on your salvation, There's some good things that make a good church. Jesus knows everything about you and I. He knows about us collectively. People in our community may have opinions of Temple Baptist Church. Folks, none of it matters. It doesn't matter. People may think that we're a wonderful church, but that doesn't mean that Jesus thinks we're a wonderful church. Hey, listen, people may think, oh, that's a horrible church. They may say all kinds of things that may or may not be true about us, but none of it matters. The only thing that matters, what does Jesus think of Temple Baptist Church? Ten distinct commendations. Number one, number one, works. Jesus said, I know thy works. Now, works are distinguished from labor. And by the way, point number two, as we see it here in our text, is labor. But there's a distinguishing characteristic between works and labor. Both are the results of the human will and human effort. Works and labor, it's something that we actually do. Now, let me say this. If you are not saved or you don't understand salvation 
the one thing you need to remember is that salvation does not come from works. It is not based on anything that you or I do. It's based upon what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. And the fact that death couldn't keep him, he rose again the third day. That's how we are saved. That's how we're born again. But once we become God's children, works become a part of our our life. In fact, in Ephesians 2, we know 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But I remind you, verse number 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And so God saved us, not by our works or not for our works, but so that we could be his workmanship and show forth his praises and his works in an evil and lost world around us. Human will and human effort. If you're just sitting around just waiting for God to do something and you're not willing to roll up your sleeves and start doing what you need to do, the Word of God is to be responded to. It's not the hearers of the Word that are justified, it's the doers. And so, yes, our will plays a part in our Christian life and certainly in our collective testimony before the Lord. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, He said, Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Now this verse is not teaching us lifestyle evangelism. What do you mean by lifestyle evangelism, preacher? Well, there's an idea among God's people that maybe started out as a good idea, but it morphed into a bad idea. What do you mean by lifestyle evangelism? There are people that think, well, I'm just going to be good to people and live a good Christian life. And uh, people will be knocking on my door and saying, hey, what do you got that I don't have? I want some of that. Now, when that happens or if that happens, that's a glorious thing. But I got news for you. It doesn't happen very often. It may never happen. And you may live the perfect Christian life. And that doesn't mean that anybody's going to come up and say, hey, what do you got that I don't have? What's different about you? Could you explain that to me? Uh, It may never happen. And that's why we witness. And letting our light shine means that we're telling people about the gospel, but we are backing that up with a light that reflects the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whenever we let that light shine, it glorifies our Father which is in heaven. In essence, lifestyle evangelism, or maybe I should say letting your light shine before men, is truth in advertising. Don't you get tired of false advertising? Don't you get tired of bait and switch? Don't you get tired of the commercial or the description of the product that you buy and the product that you buy not living up to the commercial? Hey, when's the last time that you got a hamburger that looked like the poster on the window of the restaurant? I've never gotten one that looked like the one. I mean, they look good on the poster. 
and then you buy one. And nowadays, what are we paying? 12 bucks for a hamburger at a fast food restaurant? I'm exaggerating, but it's coming, right? We're getting close. And so you spend good money on that burger and you think, man, that looks good. That makes my mouth water. I want one of those. And they hand it to you and you open up the foil and you think, uh, excuse me, could I, could I get a new one? Somebody sat on mine. <laughs> Truth and advertising. It, it, it's all annoying, but don't you think that the world is annoyed by the church today? We're saying we have the answers, and they're looking at the church, and they're basically going, they don't have anything that they're pretty much just about the same as we are. And that's a sad thing. Now, when it comes to works, I want to remind you of something that Jesus said in Matthew 23, 3. Speaking to the Pharisees, he said, All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe, that observe and do, but do not ye after their works, for they say and do not. And so we see here that works are more than just the labor, the actual working that we do for Jesus Christ. Now I want to also make another distinguishing truth or present it to you here this morning. And that is from Galatians 5, and you're welcome to turn there in your Bible, or you can look on the screen, whichever you prefer. But Galatians 5 and verse 19 through 23 talk about the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, A lot of that has to do with sexual sins right there in those first four. Idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations. A lot of people don't understand what emulations are. They think that it means mimicking someone. Well, that's part of it. You remember the slogan that Nike had, be like Mike? They're saying, you, let's, let's, let's emulate and let's be like Mike. Now, I don't want to offend any of you fans, but the reality of it is that he wasn't as good a person or isn't as good a person off the court as he was on the court. Wouldn't you agree? You know, children out of wedlock, relationships not condoned by God and so forth. And so I don't want to be like that and I don't want my kids to be like that. Amen. But emulations can be trying to be better than the people around us. You know, that's a work of the flesh that's often neglected. We try to, we, we, we want to be better than the people around us. And if we ever feel a little bit threatened, like maybe we're not better, then what do we do? We start criticizing and nitpicking, trying to tear the people down around us so that we will still feel superior. We don't do that consciously, but we do it subconsciously. You can tell a lot about a person's spirituality, not how they treat the people that they feel better than, but how they feel toward the people that are their equal or their better. You know, it's easy to feel okay about the person that's in your rearview mirror, but what happens when someone's in front of you and it just seems like you can't ever live up 
and catch them, what do you do? You try to tear them down so that you can feel better about yourself. That's the flesh, and that's part of what emulations is talking about. Wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings. What's a reveling? That's a party. Boy, are we not living in the party generation. we got to have a party for everything. doesn't matter if it's sacred or if it's secular. It doesn't matter. We've got to have booze and we've got to have a party and we've got to have dancing, right? And that has become the norm, not just in the world, but in the church. I was a backslidden teenager, and I went to a dance at a Christian church. I wasn't right with God. And I remember, I mean, I'm thankful my dad never would even considered anything like that. And he wasn't exactly what you'd consider a super conservative Lester Roloff kind of pastor. But he had enough sense to know that that's not right. And so I went with some of my friends and I thought, wow, how, how cool is this? And, and, and there was some songs that they were playing at this Christian dance in the fellowship hall of this church that I don't even want to repeat what the, the name of the song was. And I'm thinking, wow, this is kind of cool. But you know what? I was wicked. I wasn't right with God. And yet down deep, I knew that, hey, this, there's something really, really uh, irreligious about this whole ordeal. And that's exactly what's going on in the church today. And then notice he says, uh, he says, of which I tell you before, as also I've told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Watch the contrast. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Just as works are differentiated from labor, labor, works are also differentiated from fruit. Fruit's the natural byproduct of having the Holy Spirit feeling welcome inside. When we grieve Him, we choke out the fruit. When we yield to the Holy Spirit and the principles of the Word of God, then we create an atmosphere in our heart where these natural fruit of the Spirit can start coming forth in our life. Listen, if you're having problems and struggles, I guarantee you at the root of them is a spiritual nature. I realize that we're all prone to different things. You know, one person may struggle with sexual sins more than the other person. Another person may struggle with their temper and anger more than the other person. There's all different manifestations of the flesh, but the answer to all of us is to yield our heart to the Holy Spirit, be full of the Holy Spirit, so that that fruit can naturally come forth in our life. Works are things we do or what comes out of our life. A work can be, you know, when we think about the works that Jesus said, I know about, you know that that can just be a smile or an encouraging word. 
It can be showing forgiveness to someone who has wronged you. Or it can be just simply sitting in the pew and listening to the Word of God. You know, I I think that everybody ought to be doing something for the Lord. Amen? I've said it many times. Everybody can't do everything, but everybody ought to do something. But even if you're just sitting there in the pew hearing the Word of God, that's still a good work. And the Lord Jesus Christ knows those works. And when Jesus looked down at this church of Ephesus, He says, I know thy works. But then he also said, I know thy labor. Number two, what is labor? Labor is simply rolling up your sleeves and doing what needs to be done. Listen, can I say here this here this morning, this is a lost concept of how people see church today. I think all of the uh, the extreme evangelism, if you will, trying to grow large ministries and get gather the masses and so forth, churches started accommodating people. You know, you know the whole concept of what has become mainstream Christianity today started by a man in the Chicago area who basically went around and knocked on thousands of doors and had people fill out a questionnaire and they said. What would you like to see in church? And they took and they all of those answers, they put them all together and said, this is what we're going to make church into. And so that's what their church became. And they became a mega church with thousands upon thousands of members. I've seen their campus firsthand. It's ginormous. And what it's, what's it based on? It, it's not based on Jesus. What do you want us to be? It's what does the lost community around us want to see in church? Let's do that. Folks, that is, that is nonsense in its best light and it's blasphemous in its worst light. Horrible thing. And guess what? Churches and ministries all over this country jumped on board with that philosophy and said, hey, it worked for them. Let's see if it'll work for us. So ministries in Southern California and the Northeast and the Northwest, all of these different major ministries adopted that same basic mentality and they grew and became mega and big. And I'm telling you what, it is a bunch of worldly nonsense It is not the kind of things that the Lord Jesus looks down and says, that's what I want my church to look like. Church has become something, I go to church, what do you you got for me? And by the way, parents, as you're raising these children, we try to do our best to create an atmosphere where your children can serve and be involved in what goes on here, not just show up and say, hey, Put on the program for me. Listen, I think that children ought to be involved in working and helping. And you know what? They ought to help set up chairs. And let me say this. Parents, make your children bring their Bibles to church. I don't care if it's a little Gideon's New Testament. Make them bring it to church and sit it in their lap. And when the preacher says, open your Bibles too, they should turn in their Bibles and at least be part of that. I understand 
little children don't have an attention span to listen as long as I preach. (laughs) Most of you adults don't. I know that. I'd like to preach shorter, but I can't. I've tried. The harder I try, the worse it gets. I understand children don't have the same attention span, but hey, at least at the beginning, they can learn to open up the Word of God and be part of that. Train them that. When they come, when we come to church, I mean, we should say, hey, what, what can I bring to the table? What can I give to be part of our worship service? You know what? You may come in here and you may feel, you just may feel down and out and discouraged. And you may be thinking, hey, what, what, what can they do to give me something? No, come in here and say, what can I do to make this church service honoring to the Lord Jesus Christ? It may simply be getting out of your comfort zone and saying, Amen. Thank you for the yep. Yep's good too. I like yeps. Praise the Lord. I like this. I like a little bit of hand. I don't, I don't like this. But yeah, praise the Lord. Raise your hand. I, hey, I want to... That's not getting attention for ourselves. That's saying, Lord, I agree. That's good. I like that. And it's contagious. Amen? You ever been to a ball game where nobody's cheering? Everybody's afraid. You know? You don't, you don't want to be the one lone fan that gets up and goes, yeah! And everybody's going. So what happens? If everybody's doing it, then everybody does it. That sounded real dumb, but it's true. So we come to church to give, to labor. What can we do for other people? What can we do to to help make our church honoring to the Lord? I got news for you. There's work that has to be done. And that's what Jesus is looking down upon his church. And he wants to see a church that says, hey, we want to work for you, God. We want to please you. We are disciples. And this is a labor of love. Not like the religious world laboring to try to impress God so that he'll let us into heaven. If you're saved, you're already on your way to heaven. We're not laboring for our salvation. We're laboring because of our salvation. Helping out in church, witnessing Praying, coming to prayer meetings, studying the Bible and becoming, knowing Bible doctrine. That's a labor. All of these things. It can be spiritual. It can be menial. Look, there, there is prayers that need to be prayed, but there's also toilets that need to be cleaned. And everything that goes on around God's work and God's church, it's important. Jesus looks down and he says, you know what, Ephesus, I like what I see here. I know your works, I know your labor, and then he said, and thy patience, patience. Ephesus was a church that put up with a lot of things. And, you know, I don't know all that they had to put up with, but I do know this, that if you're going to if you're going to enjoy, rather endure your church, then you're going to have to learn how to put up with some things. 
some idiosyncrasies of the preacher. The fact that the preacher came from 2,500 miles away from here and can't help the way that he talks and the way that he thinks. But I still try to be as much as I I, I try to communicate uh, so that you understand what I'm saying and so that at least I try to bridge the gap. You know, I say y'all all the time. I like it. Even when I'm talking to people from tater country, I say y'all because I like it. It's a good word. I think it's proper grammar personally. And if you don't, then you ain't right. <laughs> now, I'm still having a hard time calling the thing that you put your groceries in a buggy. I don't know why. It just, to me, a buggy growing up is what you put your baby in. All of you Yankees are nodding your head. Preach it, brother. But seriously, I mean, that's all, that's, that's all just chump change stuff. But there's, there's serious things that we all bring to the table, quirks, different things about our personality. I'm looking out and I'm seeing some wonderful people and I love each and every one of you very much, but we're all, we're all different and we're all weird in our own right. Wouldn't you agree? We're all a piece of work. You may not be a piece of work today. You'll be a piece of work tomorrow. We all have our moments and we all have our things and we got to put up with one another. Ephesus was good at patience and just knowing what do we need to put up with with one another. And Jesus commends them for that. And then that brings us to the fourth point, which is actually just the opposite. And that's Jesus commended this church. And listen, the contemporary world, I don't think they've ever read this. I don't think that that Blinken preacher in Houston has ever read this. Why don't you just name his name? I'm trying to be nice. Well, you just made fun of him. But I didn't name his name. He doesn't know this because Jesus is commending Ephesus for being intolerant. Look at it with me. He says, and how thou canst not bear them which are evil. Hey, what about that? That is a quality in the church that Jesus says, I like that about you. You are intolerant. And you know that, uh, that intolerance is the only thing that the mainstream Christianity ever preaches against passionately. Have you ever noticed that? They don't get worked up over adultery. They don't get worked up over drunkenness. They don't get worked up over all of the things that are rampant in our culture and in our churches today. They just go, well, we just have to love one another. God's a God of love. But boy, if somebody gets up and says, that's wrong and that's wicked. And if anybody expresses any intolerance, listen, if you get up and if I got up here and preached a message on the sin of homosexuality. Well, you would think to the mainstream Christianity, I'm the worst person. They'd say, that's so unchristlike. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. I got Jesus Christ here in written form right here, and his book says it's an abomination. Oh, but that's Old Testament preacher. This is a new God. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hey, what about Romans chapter number one? Have you ever read that? That's New Testament to the church. Romans chapter number one. It's an abomination. And it needs to be preached against. And the only thing that would get them stirred up with intolerance is by us showing that we don't tolerate, we don't bear with them that are evil. That'll get them worked up. See what we're dealing with today? If people would just get back to the Scripture and say, what does God want a church to be? We can find it right here in the Word of God. Listen, this is nothing new. Isaiah dealt with it in his day. Isaiah 5, verse number 20, he said, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen, churches that actually stand for something and stand against evil and stand against compromise, they're blasted today. Not by the world, but by mainstream Christianity. All right, buckle your seatbelt. I know one thing for certain. I, I, I am, I am, it, I am certain, just as I'm living, I know this for certain. Ephesus would not be participating in Halloween tonight. No, sir. There is no doubt in my mind that Ephesus would say, we ain't having nothing to do with the devil's holy day. Now listen, if you don't see anything wrong with it, then why don't you do this? Dress your kids up like Adolf Hitler. Dress them up like Osama bin Laden. You know, you know the crazy thing, I know, I know Carolina Tar Heel fans that wouldn't even let Duke Blue in their home. You'd never catch them wearing Duke Blue. Why? Because they're loyal to their team. <laughs> listen, when Christians... Listen, if you dress up or trick or treat, please pay attention. I'm going to say something that will make you feel a little better, okay? You're not a devil worshiper. I understand that. I'm not saying that trick-or-treating or dressing up makes you a devil worshiper. But I will say this, from Christ's perspective, if you'd look at it from His perspective, you'd have to say, wow, that's a little disloyal. Don't you think? I mean, devils and ghosts and goblins and witches and darkness and fear and deception. Hey, have you thought about what really went on at Calvary's cross? Do you think that the crucifixion of our Savior was just something that the Romans and the Jews rolled out of bed one morning and thought, hey, let's just crucify this guy? No, someone incited all of that, and it's the devil.
If the princes of this world would have known that Jesus was going to resurrect, the Bible says they wouldn't have crucified the Lord of glory. It's behind, behind all of that. And then this is his special day. And we want to have some kind of fellowship, some innocent thing. I don't know about you. I don't believe for a moment that Ephesus would have. And when Christians don't see anything wrong with it, it proves how effective the devil has been. Make him and his devils look harmless. Oh, it's just about fun and candy and just decorating and just having some fun with it. Make darkness fun and innocent. That way kids will grow up and will be willing to put up with anything as long as it appears harmless. Hey, isn't that what's what's happening? It's like, well, you know, they just have an alternate lifestyle. Who am I to say? I don't I'm not I don't believe in that. Hey, it's like the bumper sticker that said, if you don't believe in abortion, don't have one. I hope you're seeing the mentality. The devil is fine. In fact, part of the devil's tactic is to get a generation into thinking that he's no big deal or that he doesn't exist. You say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in the devil. He just won. He loves it when people, when he can operate undercover and just subtly sow his little seeds of doubt and compromise and if he can get God's people to put up with stuff then there's no salt there's no light to make a difference we put a bushel over our light and the salt loses its savor and becomes good for nothing That's exactly what we're seeing today. Sexual perversion, wicked music, evil entertainment, evil video games, etc. Well, it's just a little harmless fun. Really? Maybe for you, maybe at the moment, but what about the next generation? How's this working for us, folks? How we doing here in America? You know, every three or four months I hear of a God Save America rally. You know what? We need to have a God save the church rally. And I repeat, and then I'll move on to make you a little less comfortable. Isaiah 5.20, Woe unto them that call evil good and good evil that put darkness for light and so forth. But of course, I know that um, people are going to do what they're going to do. You don't want to deprive your children or, God forbid, Make them think that you're different than the rest of the world. What a horrible thing that that would be for our children to think that they're different than the world. Well, there you have it. Number five, this was a church filled with discernment. Thou hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. This church understood that not all that glitters is gold. You had men claiming to be apostles, but they were liars. An apostle was somebody that has seen the, seen the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, nine out of ten false religions in this world and in America today that claim to be Christian 
nine out of ten of them claim some type of apostolic succession. The Pope in Rome is the successor. You take the LDS Church and the Church of Christ and the Jehovah's Witnesses, they all claim to have apostolic authority and power, but none of that is granted in the Word of God. Even Paul was tried by the Christians and he said, hey, I had to prove my credentials. He said, Did not Paul see Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus? Did not Paul demonstrate those mighty deeds and wonders of an apostle? Today, men claim to be preachers, but too many, sadly, are really just marketers and entertainers. I recently heard of a young preacher trying to establish a tent ministry, and another well-known tent revival preacher gave him unscriptural advice, and with that unscriptural advice, he said, well, if you do it this way, you'll make more money. Some of you would be in shock if, and I, and I won't tell you where that came from or who that was, but I will say this, some of you would be in shock. Today's Christians are nothing like Ephesus. Someone has the ability to make them laugh or cry or has uh, emotionally moving music, then they must be of God. We've become a bunch of suckers that are easily marketed, not like Ephesus. They tried them, which said they were apostles, and they weren't. They found them liars. Second Peter 2, verse number 3, And through covetousness, speaking of false prophets, shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you. Too much of modern Christianity is all about marketing and merchandise. Buy our books, buy our CDs, send us your money because look at how big and how wonderful we are. We need more of Ephesus, folks. Number six, you have burden bearing and has borne. Number seven, you have patience. <laughs> Wait a minute, I thought that he already said patience. Well, they put up with some more. <laughs> And isn't that true about patience? When you put up with stuff, with, put up with people, you think, oh man, I just, that, that's my limit. And then along comes something and the Holy Spirit says, just be patient. Just keep bearing. Just keep being patient. And then in verse number, or excuse me, number eight, we see the term labor once again. And for my namesake has labored. And by the way, that's what we ought to be laboring for. Not results but for Jesus Christ. Well, preacher, I don't go out on street ministry because I just don't think that it does any good. Where did that come from? We don't, we don't do it for the results. We do it to honor Jesus Christ. Oh, do you really think that Jesus would look down from heaven and see some of His people out there publicly holding a sign that says, "Ye must be born again? Or a sign that says that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you really think that Jesus would look down at His children publicly holding up those signs that give glory and honor to Him and say, why are you wasting your time? You're not doing any good. 
I don't think so. I think he looks down and goes, look at, hey, 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 Gabe, Michael, come here. Look at those guys. They're crazy, aren't they? I love it. Don't you love it when your children do zealous, crazy things just to please you? Some of your parents are like, that's never happened. (laughs) If it did, you'd like it, wouldn't you? (laughs) So they're laboring for the right motives. And then number nine, they didn't quit. Jesus said, and hast not fainted. Listen, don't quit no matter how tough it gets. It's tough right now. I'll admit, this last couple of years just have has not been easy. And I don't think it's getting any easier. Don't quit. Hang in there. Keep doing. Listen, I don't know that I can make it another year. Forget about a year. Just do today what you know to do. And then do it again tomorrow. And then do it again the next day. But don't quit. Keep in. Hey, and if, if you've stumbled, if you've slacked off, then just get back in the fight. And then number 10, if you skip down there to, um, to, uh, verse number, I gotta find it here, verse number, um, six. He said that they hate, you hate the right things. Thou hatest the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So here's a working church, a laboring church, a bearing church, a patient church, a patient church. All of these qualities, but then they're also intolerant and then they hate some things. Once again, here's something that goes right in the face of modern Christianity. You mean God wants me to hate some things? Absolutely. The deeds of the Nicolaitans. By the way, these Nicolaitans, we'll say more about it next week, but these were people that were part of the church that had a mentality and the way that they thought that church ought to be. And the Lord says to Ephesus, you hate that and I hate it. Good job. Good job. We need to hate the things that the Lord hates. Conclusion. I must confess it's not easy swimming against the current. Sometimes, and I guarantee you, Our brethren and our sisters at Ephesus felt the same way. You swim up current and you just think, wow, you look around and you just think, hey, can, can, can we start doubting ourselves and our feelings? How can so many people be wrong and me be right? Now, that, that sounded arrogant, but I didn't mean it arrogant. If we're right, we're right. That's not being proud, okay? But if we have a basis and we know what the Word of God says, we don't have to be ashamed of being right, okay? Because we know that we're not right. We didn't, we didn't come up with it on our own. We're just simply following the book. But then you look around, it's like, wow, all these people claim to, to be worshiping the same Lord and being saved by the same Christ, and they even, they even use the Bible, we start doubting ourselves. That's where knowing and applying the Bible is critical. That's where we have to forget what everybody else is doing and go to the book and say, God, I want to be, I want to be right with you according to the book, not according to everyone around me. We must strive to possess these commendable qualities like Ephesus. Number one, works. 
Number two, labor, patience, intolerance, discernment, endurance, hatred. All of these things need to be part of our life and our church. The church is the people, not the pastor. And when I say that, I mean past, present, and future. The church, when Ephesus, Jesus wasn't saying it to the pastor like some people think. He's saying it about the church. You can have a, you can have a pastor that's, that's right with the Bible, and it doesn't mean that the people in the pew are following him. Listen, you can have people in the pew that are following the Bible, and you can have a liberal pastor. I hope that never happens here by the grace of God. The church is the people. The pastor may influence the church in the right or the wrong direction, but the Lord is judging the church collectively. And so I ask you this question. In light of the things that the Lord commends in a church, what is your contribution to a Temple Baptist Church commendation? Jesus is looking down on Temple Baptist Church And He knows our works. He knows our hearts. He knows what we love. He knows what we hate. He knows what we put up with and what we won't tolerate. And sadly, most of God's people today put up with the things that they ought to hate and they hate the things that they ought to be putting up with. I don't know about you, but I like these qualities of Ephesus. Now, there's a big problem. I understand that. We'll talk about that next week. But that doesn't take away from the fact that these ten qualities are some things that Jesus says, I like these things in a church. Can you say that Jesus would look at my life and my my, uh, part of this corporate testimony of Temple Baptist Church and say, you know what, I'm doing my part to get a commendation from the Lord Jesus Christ.